Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we explore the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. That's right, Danny. And I believe we have exciting news to share this week. We do. Before we get to this week's guest, we wanted to announce that Joiners Pod is now sponsored by Bronca USA. That's right. Bronca USA, which is kind of a full circle situation because early in my friendship with Danny, when I would go to this scofflaw, when it was still a very new bar, I would sit at the bar and order drinks from the bartender Danny Shapiro, a much younger version of him <laughs> with dark hair. <laughs> and uh, I caught wind of these Fernet coins that were being passed around. And uh, it was like a kind of similar to like a, a pog slammer, like a heavy metal coin that said Fernet Branca on one side. And then on the other side, it had the name of a city. And uh, I thought they were very cool. And I asked Danny, my new bartending friend, if he could get his hands on one for me. And he did. Thank you, Danny. You got it. Once I had this coin, I wanted to learn more about it. And uh, it turns out that they trace back to World War I when a wealthy lieutenant bought these metal coins, or like these bronze medallions, I guess, for all the members of the squadron. And um, one of the members was captured behind enemy lines, and he had his coin on him around his neck. And he was kind of stripped of everything except that coin. And when he made it back to the Allies, he was able to use the coin to identify himself. So it became kind of a safety measure, and after that, they uh, wanted everybody to keep their coins on them at all times in, in case they were captured. And uh, in order to incentivize that, they created a drinking game whereby a member of the squadron could produce their coin as a challenge, kind of a coin check, and if another member of the squadron didn't have their coin on them, they owed them a drink. But if they did have the coin on them, mm-hmm. you would have to buy them a drink. Yeah, and this practice was adopted by Bronco USA. And it's kind of like a bartender's handshake of sorts, um, which kind of encouraged all of us to keep our our Fernet Bronco coins on us. That's right. Everybody likes a bar game. Yeah. And uh, someone who's uh, firmly planted as a member of this coveted community is uh, is this week's guest. That's right. You might say he's the most famous bearded member of the cocktail community, uh, wouldn't you, Danny? I would. We're, of course, talking about Paul McGee. Of course. Um, And, yeah, we both owe a lot to Paul. Um, He's my mentor. Without him, Tim and I probably wouldn't have met. That's right. We met at the Whistler when Danny was barbacking. That's right. And uh, Joiner's podcast might not even exist if he hadn't hadn't come to Chicago. I never even considered that. (laughs) You feeling those goosebumps come on? (laughs) It's scary to think of a world without joiners. (laughs) It's not a world I want to live in. (laughs) So without further ado, here's our conversation with Paul McGee. Paul, welcome in. It's been, as I said when you walked in, it's been a minute. Um, we'll get caught up, but I want to start, at least you start at the very beginning. The very beginning. Where were you conceived? <laughs> no. uh, Houston, Texas. A, a small suburb uh, outside of Houston, Texas. Okay. Yeah. And so that, and that's where you started your bar career as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the neighboring uh, smaller town outside of Houston uh, was my first foray into bartending actually i started serving at the restaurant um i was going to university of houston and i was commuting 
and I had the Daily Cougar um, paper that I was reading while I was in my... Um, Tim subscribes three. to the Daily Cougar, but it's a little different. <laughs> it's different. Yeah, it's a different it Daily is. Cougar. I get it for the articles. <laughs> and so I was in like this big English class, lecture class, and I was uh, thumbing through it. I saw this ad for um, server position at this uh, this restaurant, which is really, really good. Um, chain. Is it still around? It is, yeah. Oh, it's cool. uh, It's Papa's. Um, so they have like papacitos and papado and stuff like that. Anyway, um, so I was like, I'm going to swing by there after school and try to get a job. And I got a job serving. So I did that for about a year. And I was like, serving sucks. <laughs> I, I don't like retrieving stuff for people all yeah. the way back in the kitchen and stuff. And I didn't like serving. And I saw the bartenders were having a lot more fun than the servers <laughs> were. So I was like, I want that. Yeah. And so I bugged them for about a year because I looked when I was 18, 19 years old, I was, I looked like I was like 14. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they're like, eh, I don't think it's a good idea for you to be back behind the bar and stuff like that. <laughs> anyway, in, in Texas at that time, I don't know if it's still that way, but you could legally serve booze at 18, even though the drinking age was right, 21. Yeah, 21. Yeah. Wow. Um, so what was yeah. it like being a commuter? Did you, oh, were you hanging terrible. out? Did you have friends on campus and you go party no, on the weekends or no, you were just like it totally was, home? It was completely just going there for class. Yeah. There was no, no, college no experience. campus life yeah. at all there. So yeah. So that's why I kind of stopped going to classes, <laughs> just picked up more shifts at, uh, at the restaurant and played golf in the afternoon and stuff. So yeah. yeah. And was that your first job? No, my first job was actually, uh, I got paid under the table when I was 14. Um, I was a dishwasher at a seafood restaurant, a different seafood restaurant. Okay. <laughs> it was the local one. I could walk to it. Uh, yeah. So I did that. And then I, I worked at my first real job was at Kenny's shoes, which was a shoe store in the mall. Oh, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was terrible. By the way, do you guys know what the... Do you yeah. guys know what the device is called? Um, yeah, for measuring a foot. For measuring the it foot. It the B. Yeah, it does. Wow. Really Danny, good. What is it? Uh, come on. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, yeah, I forgot. It's no. the Brannock device. Yeah. <laughs> Brannock. The Brannock device. Named after its inventor, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> I still, I Billy mean, Brannock. I remember using those. Like, that's how I measured my foot. Yeah. <laughs> Did like, you people, measure your foot? Like, no, like, like when, you, when you went to a shoe store, like yeah. when you were a kid, you put your foot in that totally. thing. Totally. Yeah. yeah. The worst was like when you were when people would come in to get baby shoes yeah and they would i mean i don't even know if baby shoes like the size matters that much (laughs) (laughs) they're not really walking around on anything they don't even really have soles yeah yeah. but it's like um sometimes they would want you to measure them on the brannock device but their foot naturally (laughs) is like yeah curved oh yeah you know like arch it hasn't (laughs) been flattened yet yeah so you're trying to like flatten their (laughs) and they're not loving it no they're not digging that experience at all that's weird. Could you imagine if you still did your shoe size by your age? Like, okay, I'm, I'll take a 37, please. Uh, so, all right. So after yeah. the shoe store, uh, after the shoe a few store, years had passed. Then you end up in this restaurant. You finally get yeah, behind the bar. I finally get behind the bar. And you're 19. I, I'm 19. This is 1989. Wow. And what are what are people ordering at this? So place? the frozen drink, the frozen margarita was a big deal. We had. A really nice, I didn't know it was that nice at the time, but a really nice Taylor um, frozen drink machine. Mm. And um, 
Yeah, so they were drinking that. Was were, it like mixed out tequila going in? Oh, uh, dude, was it, it was. Yeah, yeah it was, it was like it was. It was stuff. seriously. So it was. Uh, it was Montezuma tequila mm-hmm. and like Bulls triple sec. Yeah. And then the best part was like the big packet of, of the sour. <laughs> yeah. So the big margarita mix was like you know, this big packet, and oh my god, I remember one time I came to work so hungover and I had to work lunch so I was there like 10 in the morning like making the batch (laughs) and just the fumes coming up from the bucket oh my god (laughs) but yeah um so yeah so they would order that they would order um glasses of shitty red wine and white wine and like vodka tonics and stuff yeah yeah but then how long were you in Houston before you decided to yeah to Vegas yeah so I was I had I worked at the restaurant for nine years so I was the bar manager there for a while and doing all Whoa. the ordering and stuff like that yeah, and it's a long tenure that was yeah. a long time yeah. I really I really enjoyed it but um yeah and so again it was kind of that lifestyle job where it was like you worked at night and you could have a nice lunch and before you came into work or you could play golf or anything like that it was i kind of got hooked on the lifestyle yeah and then i really enjoyed the hospitality aspect of it so i loved taking care of guests was your family into it they were always supportive yeah yeah they weren't like oh you need to go back to school even though my mom definitely had aspirations for me to be an attorney um because i think she wanted to be an attorney (laughs) so she was like always arguing with me you should be an attorney (laughs) (laughs) she's like you should have a a political science degree and yeah yeah, yeah. so i just um yeah so sorry i uh that's all good (laughs) yeah so i I continued uh, working there and then my oldest brother was like having a midlife crisis at the time. I didn't realize that, but um, he was like, "Let's move to Las Vegas," and I was like, mm, "That's kind of crazy, man. Like, I don't, I don't know about that." And then I actually had a buddy who was teaching golf out there and had been out there for a couple of years. So I called him up and this I was like, Claude? yeah, this is Claude. So yeah, I was like, so for everyone out there, Claude is a very big deal in the golf world. <laughs> He's a big instructor. Yeah. yeah. He has it's Claude Harmon, Butch Harmon's <laughs> son. So, um, actually I, when I was bartending at Papa's in this little town of Humble, Texas, um, Claude had just gotten the, um, assistant pro job at this really nice private club in uh, golf club in um, in Houston. And so he was like, hey, why don't you come over and at least work a couple of days a week in the bag room? I could really use your help. So I worked I did that job for like two years where I'd work Mondays at the, in the bag room, uh, which is really fun because it was one of the only clubs that was open on Mondays. And uh, yeah, you got to meet some cool people and like Greg Norman came out cause that's Sharp. back when, yeah. Sharp. <laughs> Pre-live. Yeah. <laughs> Pre-live. Yeah. Uh, so that's when Butch was teaching, um, teaching Greg wow. and he had just won the British open and, and things like that. And then Michael Jordan had come out, uh, a, a time and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. So anyway, I'm like, Claude, I'm thinking about move. My brother wants to move to Las Vegas and to take me with them. I'm like, what do you think about me bartending out there? And he was like, actually, you could do really well. And I teach a lot of the executives at the Rio Hotel um, 
come on out and I'll introduce you to a couple people and we'll go from there. So yeah, 97, I moved to Las Vegas and, wow. and, uh, and then- it wasn't that easy to get into the bartending gig there. So I worked at a golf course right across, um, the street from my apartment and, um, I did that for six months and kept like trying to get in because it's a very closed loop. Is it loop. like union or <clears throat> it wasn't just un- like, yeah. It wasn't union at the time, but it was like, I mean, Vegas, especially back then, was all about who you knew. Hmm. So even though I knew <laughs> Claude and he knew like the yeah. di- director of food and beverage at the Rio, like, I, this is a funny story. I, I used that guy's name as a reference to interview for a restaurant at the Rio and um, the manager's like, so how do you know this person? (laughs) And I was like, oh, well, you know, he's a friend of my, you know, and she's like, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of him. So, so kind of like squashed that whole interview process. (laughs) And you're like, no, I'm just kidding. I'm his enemy. (laughs) I hate that dude. (laughs) That guy hates me. That guy's uncommon. (laughs) You should hire me. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I just kept bothering them um, to, to, I interviewed for a position as a bar back. so again, I had to I had to start from scratch, and they even as a bar back, you had to like take a written exam about like wow. things you knew, and so yeah, so I got I got hired as a bar back, and it was like what they call extra board, so it was like very part time, but um, usually you got usually you got like four shifts a week, yeah, but it was like a hodgepodge, like one night you would work um, swing shift, which was like uh, four to midnight. Yeah, and then you would have another day where you would come in and work graveyard, which is midnight to eight a.m. Oh, so it was like that's a doozy. It was a doozy. <laughs> How did you like being in Vegas? Like you'd been in Houston your whole life. You yeah, came to Vegas with your older brother. And yeah, you're like, what was your reaction to it? I mean, it was great because I, I mean, again, I only lived in in Houston. I spent a little bit of time in a little town called San Marcos, Texas, right outside of Austin, and so. Um, I'd only really lived those two places. So I only really knew Texas. So it was like, here we have mountains and it's really dry and it's sunny all the time. Like it was, it was really a dream at the time. Um, It was really inexpensive to live there and you could make a good living. Um, Yeah. And again, I was, I had that same kind of lifestyle where it was like, I went to bed early, but I woke up early and played, um, played golf. And then I would, take a shower, maybe a little nap and then go to work. Yeah. And then once you finally got the nod to be a bartender, yeah. how much different was it than bartending or even bar managing back in Houston? I mean, it was, I mean, it was a lot of volume, obviously. And, and I worked a bunch of different venues. So I worked from restaurants to like nightclubs, which were completely crazy. Um, well, surely you have some stories about the nightclubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. It was um, oh, it was like a right around Y two K. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I remember I worked the nightclub that night um, of uh, a New Year's, and um, our manager at the time at the nightclub was an, a former Navy SEAL, and um, he was like 
prepping everybody for like chaos everything's gonna go yeah. down you know and like if you hear something loud like get down low and stuff like that he was all <laughs> panic, panicked about it and stuff but yeah um actually that guy gave me a huge break because uh yeah he really liked the way i worked in the nightclub and and stuff and he actually moonlighted at <laughs> he kind of moonlighted at the nightclub as the manager but he his real job was to collect uh, outstanding debts from people who got markers from the casino. Oh, oh wow. So he would, again, this former Navy SEAL, Oof. he would go hop on a jet and convince people to pay their... Oh, my Yeah, God. yeah, yeah. That is an insane Isn't job. It? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and That's then... a perfect archetype for that, though. Like, former <laughs> Navy SEAL, intimidating yeah, guy. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. And I remember when I moved to Chicago, he was still... He wasn't working at the same hotel, but he was working at another hotel. And he was like, he reached out as soon as I got to Chicago, and he was like, "Hey, are you still uh, are you still in Las Vegas?" And I was like, "No." You always like, could you knock on this door of this guy? (laughs) (laughs) How close do you live to? uh... (laughs) Um, But like from a drinks perspective, you know, you mentioned uh, doing the frozen drink batching at a place in Houston. In Vegas, were things being made with fresh juices? No, yeah, it's still the same kind no, of. No, it was like gun. So that that was the crazy thing too. Is I had to learn, especially for the bars in the casino, you had this gun system that not only dispensed like the sodas and juices, but also the booze. So it was Whoa. like if oh. yeah, so it's crazy. You had to learn some of these things. Like so, you would have uh, the V would be vodka, but you would you could do a. a arrow down was a short pour or you could do an arrow up which was a longer pour so you had to kind of learn your your drinks that way but um Hmm. you would just bang out like you would just bang out so many drinks you would just line up glasses like 30 glasses and you would just and everything was on crushed ice at the in the casinos so it was like you just had a huge scoop and you just yeah this is yeah filling all just it's like the ice is just going everywhere and stuff but then the the cocktail servers would come up and order their drinks and so you would just wow have like two guns in your system and then if it was like a a mixed drink like a um let's say a white russian i could hit the down arrow and the up arrow and hit vodka the v and then that would shoot not only the vodka but it would also shoot the kalua next so it'd go Whoa. like yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. They're like video game moves. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe up, down, that's up, why it, down, A, B, A, B. Yeah. It took so long to bartend. You, you got a painkiller. <laughs> so needless to say, not only was it not fresh juice, but it was there was a line that was um, going into this into the basement of the casino, which was called the pump room. Yeah. And the pump room was where all of the uh, huge handles of booze were upside down in these like hoppers that everything went through a hose and then someone was monitoring the pump yeah room, the barbacks would have to go and reload the oh my was there like, someone oh, my vodka's in the pump out, room you know? or what's that was there anyone stationed in the pump there room? wasn't okay. no so it was just, just like run back and yeah <laughs> yeah oh my so God. what what's the modernized version of that now draft to, to, to serve yeah. that level of uh it's got to be draft yeah yeah that level of volume yeah i mean i would say that, that system though sounds pretty cool it's really i mean it's <laughs> really analog. intricate like yeah hmm but yeah, so Las Vegas, and even even once I I started working with Wolfgang Puck, um, you know, we weren't using fresh juice. Yeah, wow. But and 
And then in the casino settings, mm-hmm. when someone was overserved, did you just like signal a security guard? Uh, no, did you, you didn't even worry about it. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's no, uh, <laughs> there's no third party liability in Las yeah. Vegas. So <laughs> you were just like, as long as they were tipping oh or whatever. Did you ever have to eject anyone or call for someone's ejection? Um, I don't think so. Wow. Yeah, I think you just told him to go to the next bar. <laughs> yeah, You're like, hey, that bartender, my friend over there, oh, really yeah. wants to get you a drink. <laughs> so the so the drinks are free, right? When you're gambling, they can be. Yeah. So um, any of the drinks that were um, being served by the cocktail servers, those are all free. And then as long as you, as long as you were playing, and there were, there were kind of some guidelines. Typically, you would put a 10 or a $20 bill into the machine, the video mm-hmm. poker machine at the bar that would, um, that would constitute a free drink. Okay. Mm. And, and are then, people tipping better on a free drink? Uh, yeah. And yeah. Are they tipping with chips? They can. Yeah, yeah, they can do that. But see, I think things have changed a lot since the, um, going cashless. Yeah. You know, so, uh, so case in point, and this was an unwritten rule that I, found out once I moved there um, and started working in the casinos was that any jackpot that someone hits at your bar. So let's say you're playing video poker and it's quarter video poker machine. If you hit a Royal flush, that's going to pay out a thousand dollars. The unwritten rule is that the person is supposed to tip 10% to the bartender. Hmm. Oh. So, and again, if you're playing dollars, then that's a $4,000 payout. So I've had, um, I remember one time I was at one bar and I was just setting it up. It hadn't opened yet. And this guy rolls up and he was like, can I get a beer? And I was like, sure. Yeah, no, no problem. And he started playing and I'm setting up the bar. And the next thing I, and so what you do is when you do a quote unquote slot comp, you ring it in and then you comp it to slots and then you print out the ticket and you put it in a little cup in front of the guest so they can quote unquote sign it. Or that's also the tip cup. As if well. they make the if they make or or some people would even tip like a couple of bucks a drink Just regardless the, yeah. of whether they yeah so um so i'm setting up the bar and it's it's a small bar and i'm like dumping ice in and i notice the guy's gone and um so i i go down there and i wipe up his little area and in the cup was a hundred dollar bill because he had wow he had won a thousand dollars nice little surprise jackpot. yeah it was a nice well, little start to what the if day. they didn't know that would you be like hey i don't know if you know this but uh. <laughs> you can't really say that yeah. <laughs> what was the biggest tip you got or what was the most money I, day you ever walked with i mean we had some great days um so the last place i worked before i moved to chicago was at the uh, Wolfgang Puck Bar and Grill at the MGM. And it was right on your way to the Grand Garden Arena, which had all the boxing matches at that time. Now it's more UFC, but um, Jimmy Buffett concerts and stuff like that. So there would be like thousands of people that would just cruise by your place. And and it was, you know, you could get a drink to go and take it on your way in. And um, yeah, so I mean, like, we had some $1,500 nights yeah, and $1,600 nights and stuff like that. Yeah. Did you ever see anybody strike it big, like a Nick Papa Giorgio winning three, <laughs> three cars in a night? Uh, Mr. Papa Giorgio. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing like that. But I mean, you did see um, right in front of our. So the Wolfgang Puck Bar and Grill was open on three sides. So it just looked out onto the casino floor and 
there were some craps tables and it was right in front and it was right in between Joel Robichon's restaurant and what's called the mansion at the MGM, which is where all the high rollers stay and they have their own private entrance and stuff. But that's where I saw like, um, Charles Oakley and, and, uh, those guys were all throwing craps one night and stuff like that. And so my, my fellow bartender, when he got off work, he's like, I'm going to play craps with Charles Oakley. (laughs) (laughs) So he just like went over there and was like trying to talk to him and stuff and to no avail. But what was your game of choice? Um, so I had, um, I liked blackjack. I think I remember that. I like craps too, but I remember when I first moved there and I hadn't gotten a job yet, I went for a free buffet at one of the local casinos and I was like, Oh man, on the way out, you know, I'll just, I'll play a little bit of blackjack. And I lost like 300 bucks and I felt terrible. And I was like, I'm not going to do that again. So (laughs) I was, I was pretty smart with my money. I didn't conservative, but I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. That town is so wrapped up in it that a lot of the money just it goes out as fast as it comes in yeah you know, like, yeah there's no shortage good. of ways to spend the winnings no no if there not. are winnings yeah right and then the thing is you know that if you work at a busy restaurant or bar you're gonna make another you know five or six hundred dollars the next day so it's like why would you save that just spend it because you're gonna make <laughs> yeah. it again. yeah the bag will be full tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> right right um it's very it's very different the strip versus people living in Vegas. Were you living close to the strip? No, I was living in a, uh, it's a master plan, master plan community called <laughs> Summerlin. Um, so that's where all the golf courses were. Okay. And I was like, yeah, I want to live by all the golf courses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what were, what are some spots? Cause we go there for Thanksgiving. My wife's aunt lives there and we're oh, like, okay. what are the spots we want to go to for that would be more local and off the street? I mean, honestly, like I haven't been there in a long time. Yeah. Um, I know that the, ooh, um, I think herbs and rye, they have a, yeah. um, a steakhouse called Cleaver, I think is pretty good. Okay. I forget the Vietnamese restaurant's name. The, the Lotus of Siam. Lotus the, of Siam. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 And uh, they have a killer wine program. And so good. They, I think they moved to a new spot because they used yeah, to be. Yeah. There were two and I think one burnt down. Yeah. 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 We went a couple of years ago and the chef owner was there with like her entire extended family from Thailand. Really? We sat next to them and talked to them a little bit. It was very cool. That was a memorable meal. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah that's cool. Yeah. So. So did you follow Charles Oakley to Chicago? (laughs) (laughs) He did so well at craps. I was like, you know what? (laughs) He might be onto something. (laughs) Sorry, I I had to get that transition. (laughs) So how did you make the move from from Vegas to Chicago? So my partner at the time, um, she had some friends who lived in Chicago, and we were ready to make a move from Las Vegas. We had kind of like tapped out like you're just doing the kind of the same thing and there's not a whole lot of you know mobility how long were you in vegas for uh i was in vegas for 11 years wow so did your brother stay no he didn't even make it a year oh man <laughs> oh. did he go yeah. back to texas yeah uh. he did yeah so, <laughs> um yeah his midlife crisis continued, continued in, yeah <laughs> it just changed venues back to like uh, texas but um <laughs> yeah, so we had we had, we were ready to to go someplace else, and we had a couple of other places on the list. And um, you know, the first time I came here was in March, and it was 
cold, but it was, again, it was new. It was new to me. I'd never lived any place cold before. So I lived in Houston and San Marcos, Texas, and then Las like Vegas. March 2008 or no? Uh, this is 2000. Oh, oh, wait. No, it was 2008. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. we moved here in August of 2008. And then the Whistler opened up at the end of September yeah. 2008. So... Yeah, we were like, I was like, this is cool. And like, we met up with some of her friends and their friends. And I was like, this is something that you didn't have in Las Vegas. I mean, it's very much of a like, you end your shift and you go do your own thing, whether you're going to a local bar with video poker machines or you go home. And it's very like... um yeah, you just you just go home or you go to another bar, like but you don't like hang out. Yeah, no community. Yeah, I mean, because a lot of a lot of times you have to decompress after work. Because again, yeah, those shifts sounded busy. They're busy, and it's like everyone wants to know where to go. They're like, "What nightclub should I go to? Can you hook me up? Can you get me in the nightclub? Yeah, all this kind of stuff." And it's like it, it does get exhausting after a while, but I mean, you're again, you're you're paid for it. So, yeah. but anyway, um, so yeah, you don't have a big group of friends to hang out with and stuff. Everyone's kind of doing their own thing. It also is a three shift town. So it's like you have people who live, who work mornings, the eight to four shift, and you have the four to midnight shift, which is the swing shift, which is like the desired one. And then you have graveyard. Mm. So it's like, did um, your shift switch up all the time or get a consistent I had a, swing yeah, after three a, or four days a week? After a couple of years. Well, and then I started getting, a, I, then I, I got a regular bartending uh, job at the, um, at the Rio, but, um, how many indecent proposals did you get? (laughs) (laughs) Zero. (laughs) I wish you could see the shirts that we wore because it was like the least flattering. (laughs) Here's the way to stop the indecent proposals from happening. (laughs) Yeah. It was genius. Don't ask. (laughs) Stock has to make uniforms like that for people all the time. We do a lot of indecent proposal gear, merch. You You get get proposals all the time. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. So yeah. you came to Chicago, kind of so enjoyed came, the vibe of it. I was like, this is a this is a real city, you know, like, um, yeah, with with really cool neighborhoods and stuff. And so I was like, let's do it. So we came out. Um, a friend of ours uh, was working at the hideout and happened to be in the office upstairs at the hideout when Billy Helmkamp was up there and was talking to her and he's like, yeah, we're in the process of opening up a bar with some live music and stuff. And Katie who not Katie Tutton, but Katie, who was our friend was like, Oh, I've got to hook you up with this guy. They're moving out here. You need to talk to Paul, blah, blah, blah. And so, and so real quick. Yeah. We, the last time we left the technical bartending stuff, there was still all. Oh yeah. 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 So at what point do you learn how to actually make, cocktails yeah so this is probably 2005 so i had this like kind of epiphany where i realized 
at the age of 33 that this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times, like, you didn't, you know, it was always in the service industry back then, at least it was a very transitional job. It was mm -hmm. like until you get your quote unquote real job or and even to that, you know, even when you're working in Las Vegas, no one takes it seriously. They're like, oh, what else do you do for a living? Yeah. And it's like, no, I actually make a good living doing mm -hmm. this and stuff anyway. Um, so back in 2003, I take uh, Francesco LaFranconi's course at Southern Wine and Spirits in Las Vegas. And that was like the aha moment where I was like, oh, this could actually be a career. And if I'm going to do it, then I need to do it right. And yeah. so I started reading some books. Um, I was following like bartenders, bloggers. I was on like eGullet and stuff like that, trying to get as much education as I could because it just wasn't really in practice yeah. in Las Vegas. And there was a time when not many people were doing things the the right way. <laughs> yeah. Was For it sure. like picking up in New York? Like where was the craft cocktail scene really yeah, picking up? I, yeah. I would say late nineties, New York was okay. like carrying the torch. Then you also had San Francisco, which had a totally different approach at that time where it was like more farm to glass, you know, and I kind of liked both of those things. Um, and so, yeah, so I started reading and like got in, got real into it and started following um, a lot of bars and going out to bars that were doing things like when we were on vacation, we'd go to places that were like, that had good cocktails that you'd go to, whether that Boston or, or things like that. So because you couldn't go. That was the thing. You couldn't go in your own town of Las Vegas and get a good cocktail. Like no one was stirring yeah. anything, it was, which is funny because even though. Lefranconi was teaching the class in that it, place. No it was, was all theory. Following. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, just, it was not. It was not practiced that at all. So funny. <laughs> uh, do you remember the first cocktail you had, where you were like, "Ah, this is like a balanced, honestly cocktail." Yeah, I, I do. I owe a lot to the Violet Hour. That was really because not only was the cocktail great, but the ex the experience and everything again, this is like 2007 or so where I was like, Oh, okay. I get it. And I, I had like a Sazerac and I was like, wow, this is like special. A, yeah. And not only that. And then I, I remember having the Riviera there, which was like, whole. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of gin, but it's this gin drink with like pineapple and maraschino and, you're like, what, what buttons do you push for this? Yeah, one? <laughs> yeah where's the Riviera? <laughs> Is that up, down, up, down? <laughs> so, oh, oh, Danny's pulling out the book. All right. Yeah, we got the book to reference for the Rev. Uh, yep, 162. <laughs> we can just read it. <laughs> it Hold, <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, oh, a classic. Uh, Two yeah. ounces of Riviera mix. Oh. <laughs> so I have to figure out what that is. Well, that's, that is no, the up, down, three. up, down. Kahlua. <laughs> Kahlua key. Now I got to go to page 315, <laughs> but it's Riviera mix, lemon juice, simple syrup, egg white. Um, yeah, it's gin, pineapple, Campari, Luxardo, Maraschino. So I'm assuming it's gin, uh, pineapple, Campari, Lux, Maraschino. Yeah. And then, Quite and, then yeah. and that, yeah. And I was like, not only is it a beautiful looking drink, but it's like, it's complex too. Like mm. it has layers, like it has the, the cherry and the Campari. Yeah. And again, like Campari was like, you didn't drink Campari. Yeah. Unless you want to prank someone. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, and that recipe 
was very influential for the Lost Lake cocktail, mm. which I guess we can get into Lost Lake a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah you're skipping ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, so, okay. So basically, happenstance, uh, this person to hide out, yep. your friend puts yep. you in touch with Billy. Talk to Billy. Like, yeah, he's like, gotta meet sounds Paul. great. When he I doesn't first... have a beard yet, but he will one day. <laughs> oh, you were unbearded at this I point? I was unbearded because okay. <laughs> you can't have facial hair in a casino. Oh. And I'd never had time off in between jobs before. So when I moved here, I was waiting for the Whistler to get their liquor license. So I had a about a month, month and a half. So I had a little baby beard happening. You know? <laughs> the pictures are so good. <laughs> we should for the throwbacks. We, gotta oh, get, yeah. we should get. Oh, yeah. un, we need an unbearded Paul for the throwbacks, <laughs> and then a baby bearded Paul, and then the real deal. You couldn't yeah. have facial hair. I taught at a country club. I taught tennis at a country club. Okay. You couldn't have facial hair either. I yeah. go with like a five o'clock shadow, and my head pro would be like, "Shave that shit. Go to the locker wow. room." Yeah. Crazy. crazy. I don't think obviously not every club, but the one I worked at. <laughs> you couldn't have body hair. <laughs> I had to near my shave entire body. <laughs> Tim, take it one step too far. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so you you were kind of in talks with Billy. Was mm-hmm. there ever a time that they were like, "Hey, can you demo us some cocktails?" No, I I mean they honestly, just full faith. They were full faith. Wow. They they actually had the idea that they were going to be bartending most of the shifts on mm. their own, and I was like, I mean, I. I Maybe not so politely, but I was like, there's no way you're, you guys are going to be able to do this. And they probably could have if it was just the beer, yeah, and, beer, beer, and and, beer and shot, you know? Yeah, I mean, but to your credit, and again, I'm just going to tell some of the story as yeah. I remember it, which okay. could be totally wrong. <laughs> um, but from what I understand, they were, they were, ta- they were excited to try out cocktails yeah. with you yeah but they didn't know how that would go right and then once the opening night proved how successful and how popular the cocktails were it changed almost entirely what the concept was going to be completely i mean i didn't know what to expect because that was the thing with, i remember the first night you know they're like oh i was like oh do you mind if i put this cocktail menu together they're like yeah yeah, yeah do whatever you want and i was like cool so they printed it out for me it had like a sazerac on it it had like a the rosemary collins yeah the <laughs> there's Riviera. that, there's that. <laughs> 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 so um yeah so i uh rosemary collins is great <laughs> there's that farm to glass movement yeah, from, delicious. Uh, <laughs> so um so yeah so i was like cool uh I'll be back behind the bar, and I had a little fruit bowl with like a couple of lemons and just a couple, in case, yeah. just in case someone yeah. orders. Yeah. And literally, no one ordered the two dollar PBR or the four dollar well drink. They were like, "Oh, so tell me about these cocktails." And so I was like, "Okay, this is great." And then it was like that night kept getting busier and busier. And so everyone wanted the $8 cocktails because again, at the time the, the uh, violet hour was like 11. Game in town, yeah. yeah. And it was like 11 to $12 for their cocktails. And yeah, it was like you and the violet hour and Ouija's and drawing room hadn't yeah. opened yet. Right. Or drawing room. I think drawing room opened. had so opened. Yeah. There yeah. Were only a but few it's a few places, less right. than five places in the city. Right. To get right. a real cocktail. Yeah. And I mean, again, drawing room was a very, you know, specific location. And so, I mean, Ouija's too, but I mean, um, yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to hand squeeze the juice to order. (laughs) (laughs) Don't need to do any of that stuff. And I was like, oh my God, I got so in the weeds, like with people wanting the Rosemary Collins and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh shit. Like, 
And I need so, to hire a Danny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, a while well, honestly, like we had, and again, it was like the smallest little ice bin that you could have. And um, yeah, so I had to be like, we got to think about how to, yeah. to do this. Because again, like they were very supportive. But it was like I was going to Whole Foods to get mint and like I was mm. going, you know, to get a bunch of stuff because this is the thing. Like it didn't have a kitchen. So it wasn't like, I mean, do you remember going to Restaurant Depot to get stuff? Like yeah. we didn't even have like regular deliveries of like food service trucks to like bring us the citrus that we needed for the cocktails. It was like, oh, uh, maybe the guy from uh, yeah. Farmer's or what yeah, is it? Farmer's Pride. Farmer's Pride. Yeah. yeah, yeah Western. come. <laughs> Yeah. He would drop off like five cases of limes or lemons and stuff like, but before that it was like, oh, we had to do a depot run every, every week, you know, and it's farmer's pride, the place on Western. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It's still there. Yeah. But they well, so they also deliver stuff as well. Oh, um, they have a good if you de- don't want to use there. like, you know, if you don't have an account with like chef's warehouse or, yeah. Pasta or whatever. So yeah, it was a, it was a crazy thing. Like it, it quickly became a music venue with two dollar beers and four dollar shots and stuff like that to like a cocktail bar yeah yeah i mean it was a game changer it was um it definitely had a a giant impact on my life it had a very giant (laughs) impact on uh the length of my life (laughs) it shaved about 10 years shortened (laughs) sure did it shortened it by about 10 years those three years of like banging out hundreds of drinks a night it was nuts. so so we've got danny at perennial at the time yeah so what do you hear about the whistle uh basically so um I think through uh, Ben Schiller and Brandon Wise, two of like my, you know, mentors in mm-hmm. the Boca group, they had talked about the Whistler. I'm sure I'd heard about it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'll never forget, you know, the first time I walked in there, it was like this amazing place. It felt so special. It felt like home. I don't know, like walking into, yeah, I don't know, just some kind of. It felt authentic, right? Yeah, like it was it just did. like everyone was doing what they wanted to do. It was like. You know, Billy was, you know, curating the music and stuff, and I was doing the the booze and the cocktails and stuff, and like Rob was just taking care of everything about the the property and like doing all the books and the paperwork and stuff like that. So it's like we all did different things, but it it did. It just felt authentic. Yeah, it was yeah. Like, dark and cozy. I yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I hung out there all the time. As like as a young man trying to start a clothing line with no money, you <laughs> right. get a really good drink for eight bucks. Yeah, yeah. See some music. It was great. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, just for the, for the listeners out there, like that's how I met Tim pretty much. Uh, Tim came in with his, uh, then girlfriend and friend a lot. And then that's, you know, of course, how yeah. I met Paul and I walked in there and I was like, I want to work here. I want to learn from Paul. Um, and yeah, I mean, I like it helped me build my, my livelihood, my career. Um, this podcast, like so many things kind of came out of that place. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it. Yeah, it definitely was a. It was an influential bar um, in the Chicago market because it did, it did kind of take the sensibilities of like taking the the time and effort to make a cocktail properly, like you would get at the Violet Hour, but in a completely neighborhood, um, very casual, laid back environment. Yeah, that it was wasn't just like 
they were they were taking you guys were taking the drinks very seriously right but in a very relaxed setting yeah with a cool crowd it yeah. Was, yeah it was really nice it was yeah. great uh one time like as paul was like training me uh you know to learn how to bartend properly uh, <laughs> i think i know what this some is. of some of our friends were in there robbing tricks um and i'm like shaking this this cocktail in a boston shaker setup which is like a glass on tin setup that paul and i well i got it from paul yeah guess, yeah but that's what we were used to for shaking drinks and uh the couple's sitting at the bar and paul's like basically standing like directly behind me like watching my every movement and i'm shaking this drink and uh the tin and glass go flying out of my hands and they go toward uh, over tricks. the yeah, yeah over, over the, the bar, bar. Oh. but there's like a little lip to the bar and it luckily like hits the lip stays sealed I pick it back up. I continue to shake it. Finish the drink. Cool flare. My yeah. heart. My heart. Yeah. Like, yeah. My heart stopped. Oh man. I mean, uh, another time. Like, I think also what I loved about it and still love about it is like the people there kind of always had your back. And there was like this one time where the setup of the Whistler was such that there was one. There's one cocktail making station and right. then kind of the b2s making built drinks taking orders interfacing right. with guests then a b3s like supporting that person whatever so paul was in the b1 station and it was a very busy night as usual um and someone ordered like i don't know like 12 dealer's choice cocktails like some <laughs> insane quantity of dealer's choice cocktails which again there's just one person <laughs> executing that which is paul so this guy comes behind the bar and like things are taking a minute because there's like a bunch of drinks in the queue right or something. right and this guy like comes behind the bar and like smacks me in the back and is like <laughs> like a guest that had ordered these drinks because they're taking a long time and he thinks like we're neglecting him he like takes yeah. it out on me and like smacks me in the back and paul <laughs> drops what he's doing and goes to like this guy and he's like like get the fuck out you know, i'm a like, tough guy i'm a tough guy <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah no but it was like yeah i don't know i it was like a small thing that was crazy in the moment um but it yeah know. i mean it working at the whistler made me feel like a line cook at like the busiest restaurant <laughs> <laughs> because again these orders would just pile up and i feel that yeah i, I feel that stress because i'm like i don't want people to wait a long time for these drinks yeah. you know and uh and again like it, it was such a casual environment that it wasn't like you had a server and you could just kind of like place your order then like kick back in your chair it was like standing room only and stuff mm. so and it's hot in there and it smells and you know you got all the sweaty you know folks <laughs> in there and stuff and <laughs> yeah the loud hot sweaty smells. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good <laughs> just really adds to the environment of the cocktails and stuff so it's um yeah so i felt that and i was like oh man and i would get so stressed just think just seeing those tickets line up and yeah. you're just like you're you're kind of the line cook who's like no more orders yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's like, just put a pause like, on yeah, order for just, a half uh, hour find something else to do yeah. a little bit yeah so. yeah i mean what yeah what are some stories that memorable stories that stand out to you about your time there oh um i think it was it was cool just like having the chefs come in and stuff like Carlson, <laughs> Michael Carlson. <laughs> so great. I think I still have to this day, like seven different entries of Michael Carlson's uh, phone number in my phone because they would just change, <laughs> change all the time. <laughs> yeah. I only had Seth's number and that was the way I could communicate with Michael. Yeah. So, I mean like the chefs, the chefs coming in was always a big deal to me. Um, I always, 
liked other bartenders coming in too. Uh, I think the, the the when the brand ambassadors that were like the global brand ambassadors would come in, it was pretty cool because I, I couldn't even like when we first opened like. I couldn't even, it was hard for me to get a cab home. I lived in Ukrainian village. And so at like three o'clock in the morning, I'd be like calling the cab because this is pre-Lyft and Uber. And so it was like, I would wait forever if anybody would even come. So it was like for these guys to make it out to this divey little area, because that little strip there wasn't, Right. Was wasn't the great different. greatest back in 09 or whatever yeah uh, oh i also remember all the uh the guys from bonnie's that would come over yeah like andy mandy and no Ruby. well oh even before, oh, before pre oh wait what mandy, was it called before bonnie's yeah bon J- well oh bon yeah, yeah yeah whatever, yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the yeah. like the latin kings would come over and like hang out and be like you guys need to come over to our spot after you get off work and we'd be like yeah 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 we're totally gonna do yeah, that totally just, <laughs> yeah no but i have to go to el charo and get it you know yeah, well, I'm an alum of the Whistler cocktail course taught by oh, Paul wow. McGee. Do you still have your yeah. diploma? Oh, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> hanging up in my office. Uh, Fantastic. It was a gift from my sister. It was a Christmas gift, and she scheduled it um, the day of, I don't know if I've told Danny the story, but it was scheduled for the day. It was Super Bowl Sunday. Mm. And I was like, why the fuck did you schedule this on Super Bowl <laughs> Sunday? Why so, but I was stoked to go because I loved going to the Whistler and I love the cocktail. So um, <laughs> I remember learning about like how you want to uh, spank mint to yeah. get the oils out. I remember yeah. the difference between a mule and a buck, Danny. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Which I feel like we should. Do you want to clarify? Yeah, no. The mule is the ginger beer one. The buck is ginger ale. That's right. And like some some classic builds and stuff. Yeah. But I think I had during that like hour and a half or whatever, I think I had like six cocktails yeah and then I up you had a welcome cocktail to start yeah and victoria Paul's and i were having Vegas style on you yeah victoria and i were having a super bowl party i, I showed up to the party completely blacked out it's like what the hell happened to you the whistler cocktail i like i made it old-fashioned <laughs> that's so good oh, man i do remember like one of those classes like um oh you know who came to one of those classes too uh Brandon Phillips hmm. uh, from back, back in. Yeah. Yeah. When he was, he drove down from Appleton, Wisconsin to take that, that, wow. that class, Whoa. which is really fun. I, and I love him. I like, I love what they do down there. And I, I think he's really thoughtful. Um, but anyway, that's cool. Yeah. The Whistler cocktail. That was, that was a rough one on me. Cause I would close on Saturday and I'd get out of there like three or four in the morning. Then we'd and then go to Arturo's. <laughs> yeah, we'd go to Arturo's. <laughs> then you go. And then I'd get like a few hours of sleep and then I would come back and like have to set the whole place up for the class and stuff. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it. It was also a little side hustle, too. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, I can maybe take a shift off. If I... <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're at the Whistler um, mm-hmm. for a good chunk of time. Yeah. And then three years. At what point um, are you starting to like explore other things like how does that how does that start come about i mean i I definitely wanted i knew that yeah i knew that i i had to have my own place yeah and i knew there were well at that time i had i had maybe two options uh one would be opening my own place which i don't think i was ready to do that um and then the other one was i had an offer from a restaurant group. So I'd done some consulting with them before, just like really small time stuff and, uh, you know, help them with one restaurant. And then they had me come back the next week and they're like, these drinks aren't tasting the same as when you made them for us. And, um, 
and I was like, cool, well, show, show me what, where your stuff is. And, and it's like they were using sour mix or, or they were using <laughs> like pasteurized lime juice and things like that. And I was like, well, you know, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So um, but anyway, so, yeah, I, um, one of the one of the partners with Let Us Entertain You, like um, it would come to the Whistler and she's like, hey, you know, why don't you help us with this project and stuff like that? And then that's when I sat down with the Melmans and they made me an offer I couldn't refuse, (laughs) (laughs) which was basically like uh, a little bit more money, but like not having to bartend, you know, it was like being able to do more creative stuff than like, Oh, you've got to do your two hours of prep before your shift. And then you work this 12 hour shift and then you're just like, Again, like when yeah, I, Paul I mean, was putting up just so. I mean, you haven't mentioned it yet, but I guess I will. <laughs> I mean, do you want to say how many hours you were doing at the Whistler a week? Uh, I mean, probably, probably eighty, ninety. Yeah, I mean, and I, I that's and when I'm, I mean, it, it's that's not. I mean, that's not like a sob story or anything like that. But it's like when I moved here, I was thirty eight. So oh, I did yeah. that from thirty eight to forty one. What and happened I, to your handicap during that time? <laughs> I, I think I, I think I played like five rounds of golf in like 10 years yeah that was the I saddest part here. of the story that was yeah. <laughs> i'm getting choked up i know please please um yeah so it's just like yeah that's not sustainable that's really the thing where it's like i need to do something else because again this isn't sustainable yeah mm. i mean yeah i mean i love bartending but i you don't want to work that much yeah but i mean even at you know, three dots, you're still present. It's not like you weren't there. Actually. So this is, this is funny. They always thought that three dots and a dash was going to be five days a week. So closed Sundays and Mondays. And I was like, Oh, I, I don't like that. I think we should be open Sundays and Mondays too. And they're like, we don't, we didn't make a schedule for that. You know, we don't have managers scheduled for that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'll do it. So that's when I started working. I started bartending Sundays and Mondays, Cause I kind of had to prove the concept where it was like, yeah. okay, this is feasible for Sundays and Mondays. Like, yeah. and so, um, I did it twice and I was the kind of the closing manager and they saw the sales and they're like, oh yeah, we'll get another manager. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's so, crazy. Yeah. That you had to do that to convince them. Of it. I just, yeah. I mean, I just, I'm not a big believer in, I mean, I, I know things have changed over the last few years for sure, but I mean, you, you just have to be open. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's Bayless would agree with you. It's tough. I mean, it's tough. People come in from out of town and they're like, or at least does, <laughs> at least Bayless was like, we got to get the most meals and hours out of the space mm-hmm. as possible. Right. I think it was less of a business decision than more of like, Hey, if brand ambassador or um, food writer, or even just like enthusiast, like tiki enthusiast or, you know, yeah, rum like enthusiasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like if you want to, if you're only in town for a Sunday to Monday night, like you're like bummed if you yeah, can't. There you know? are, there are Tiki tourists. Like we make oh, a lot yeah. of merch for oh, Tiki yes, and you do. because people buy it. We, one project that never happened that I'm bummed about is, uh, you know, Tonga Room in San Francisco. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they reached out to us to make merch for their 75th anniversary. Really? And I, I like, I went out there and visited. It was amazing. It's an amazing place. It's the coolest. It's like, so there's like a, 
for, for yeah, describe it. it. Yeah. Describe it to them. Yeah, so it looks like a ship on the inside. It's dark. It's very big. And then there's like a lake in the middle with tables all around it. And then there's a boat in the middle of the lake where they play live music. <laughs> and then the, the lake so cool. is actually a swimming pool. So it was the swimming pool of the Fairmont Hotel huh. in San Francisco. Uh. So that's that's the original swimming pool. And they just built this like <laughs> so restaurant cool. tiki bar yeah. like. And then they have this, yeah, again. And like, they have, like, huts all around, <laughs> like, straw huts. And uh, yeah. then it rains, like, every 20 minutes or every half hour <laughs> yeah. or so. It's really, it's the coolest vibe. And then uh, it was right before COVID. And then it just completely put a halt to the project. Now you got to do uh. their 78th anniversary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, guys, 78th anniversary. Some yeah. people say it's even better than a 75th. On, on the elevator on my way down to the Tonga hut, um, I was on the elevator with Benjamin Bratt. You know the yeah, actor for sure. Um, I think he was married. Was he married to Julia Roberts for a minute? Um, anyway, yeah, he was like the coolest part was he was Second like Julia Roberts mentioned. Are you on looking this up? <laughs> are you looking up Benjamin Bratt? Yeah. Julia Roberts. There's an article from uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, yeah, they spent together. four years yeah. together. Okay, yeah. okay. So right. she was not on the elevator, but he was on the elevator, and he was like, um, "I had my senior prom here. Oh, how cool oh, would that be to have your senior prom at the Tonga? That would be sick." Um, all right, so Three Dots opens yeah, so, is yeah. a major success. Huge success. Um, they got Paul mugged everywhere. <laughs> they got Paul's likeness yep, on the, the menu. Not, <laughs> Not my idea. Not my idea. Paul's like, I'll do the deal, but I've got to have my likeness everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Um, and then, yeah, kind of at, at what point do you start to think about doing your own place yeah. independent of Lettuce? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the scale was like one of those things that that made it really tough um it's you know um three dots and a dash started off being three thousand square feet which is <clears throat> started off being three thousand square feet which is really big um but then it quickly grew into like oh yeah we got the space next door too and then the space over there so it became 6500 square feet oh man and so that's like, you know, 200 plus capacity. And it's like you're trying to make these drinks and um, we weren't batching ahead of time or anything like that. It was um, it was all a la minute. And uh, we made it we made it happen, which I'm very proud of. But at the same time, it's like it's just a grind for everyone. You know, when you've got that big of a space, like your staff starts getting tired of being that busy all the time and yeah and so it's like there is a, a kind of a shelf life to it and for me i think you know wanted to do i definitely wanted to get back to the neighborhood i think i you know i had never really spent much time in um river north i can't believe so yesterday was the parade and or the dying of the river or yeah, whatever st patrick's day. st patrick's day parade yeah so um the first time I started working down there was like right around St. Patrick's Day. And I have never seen anything. I didn't even know that side of Chicago like showed up or yeah. it was crazy to see people like puking all over the sidewalks at like 11 a.m. and stuff. So yeah. I knew I wanted to come back to Logan Square. I wanted to do a smaller place. I wanted it to feel more tropical and, you know, not necessarily just an homage to like Trader Vic or things like that. So we wanted to do it a different way. And so, um, yeah, I, I knew not early on, but I knew that like about a year in, it was like, this isn't really 
Yeah, yeah. It wasn't what you signed up for. It doubled in size. You yeah, know, you, were, you were working behind the bar. Yeah, yeah. Which I, again, I loved. I loved that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. But so I wanted to get back to like working behind a bar in Logan Square and having a space feel intimate and like comfortable for everybody in the neighborhood, but also kind of scratch that itch for somebody who wanted a, a, a tiki drink or a tropical cocktail and stuff. So, yeah. yeah. So how did you approach, I guess, what was the yeah. time like? So at the, um, Robert McAdams from Landis department, um, he would come to the Whistler a lot and, um, he built the Whistler's bar. He built right? the Whistler. Yeah. Um, he built the bar top and stuff. And, um, I think from some scraps from some of the, uh, um, they had just done maybe big star or they were doing big star. Hmm. I know it opened after the Whistler, but I think they were working on that project for a long time. Got it. Anyway, like beautiful bar. I love the bar top at the Whistler. It was yeah, great. It's so pretty. It was like a Douglas fur. Yeah. And um, so I, I I follow him on Instagram and I saw him. He had a um, he had made a post about something about the Millshire and like I at that time they they were thinking about um, taking that over and making that into a little uh, an inn. And so I reached out and I was like, hey, if you ever need any help like doing that. And he was like, actually, let's talk because um, and we met at Choco and we had lunch there. And he told me all about what they were doing at the Chicago Athletic Association mm-hmm. Hotel and um, and that they had some other things in the works. And that, uh, yeah, so we just started the conversation that way. That was going to be my main job that paid the majority of my salary and in the meantime we would start working on looking at spaces for the small tiki bar did you know <laughs> that it was going to be called lost lake mm, no we didn't not at the time there was a whole list yeah um, what was your favorite name on that list that didn't make it Ooh, god <laughs> i can't remember there were some really bad names on that list. <laughs> there always are there were some really bad <laughs> names on that list like yeah, I mean, I think there were some like titles of like uh, <laughs> tropical lounge songs and stuff like that, which yeah. isn't bad because when we opened the little spot uh, next to Lost Lake that used to be the uh, Chinese takeout yeah, counter. Thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. so when we opened up that into a bar, we made that into another bar um, that was called Stranger in Paradise, which is a actually a Supremes song that mm. is um, cool. Yeah, I love that old exotica music, Arthur. Yeah, Lyon and yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Especially when so it's good. snowing outside. Yeah, throw it some is of that on. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's very comforting. It's a lot of fun. So, so then, I guess, yeah. what's the timeline like? Were you working at uh, CAA while Lost Lake was taking so, off? So I was kind of doing that, but the the space came up, which was um, <laughs> it was the um, previous administration, which was. That was the name of the bar that Lost Lake became. Oh, Previous yeah. Administration. Previous administration. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was all like carnival food and stuff. It was carnival stuff. food. It was like funnel cakes and yeah. like hot dog, corn dogs yeah. and what stuff. What a wild concept. I yeah. never heard it of this. It was nuts. Yeah. They had like a cutout of like maybe Nixon or something like that. <laughs> and you could like put your face through it and take a picture and stuff. It was crazy. I still have my Nixon picture face. <laughs> it was nuts. It, so. This place has everything. <laughs> Richard Nixon. We got funnel, funnel cake. cake. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, um, so yeah, so but the it oper- was like a patriot, like it was like, um, <laughs> I still picture like the logo of it. Yeah, there was like the the banner, the yeah, red, white, and blue, blue plant yeah, banner. Very some, like America, whatever. It, yeah, it was very much, it was crazy. <laughs> so that space, believe it or not, didn't really do well. Um, <laughs> so it was becoming available. So we, we actually started working on that in December of, um, December of 2014. And then we opened January 13th of 2015. Oh, pretty quick. I mean, because I think what happened was um, we had X amount of days to get it done for the liquor license uh-huh. um, to transfer it and, and things. So, yeah, there. I mean, I'll, I don't know if I can say this, but I'll say it. But anyway, uh, there weren't really construction permits that were happening mm, yeah. during that time we were just kind of like loading everything in the back when i say we it was like robert and his crew yeah we're building yeah. out everything so that happened <clears throat> that happened a lot faster than we thought and that was critical for us to open that at that time prior to the caa because that opened in may okay. of the same year yeah i remember so, when we did the uniform yeah the opening uniforms for caa and this is one of our weirder stories with uh, like an opening was I remember going through we did we had to we brought a tailor into um, the ballroom, you know, with like the oh, stalactite yeah. lights. And we had all the employees come in and we were taking measurements. We had we had a seamstress and a tailor there. We had they brought the sewing machines in and they were doing uh, tailoring in the ballroom. Are you serious? Pre opening. And like if you went out in the hallway, you had to wear a hard hat because the place was still. Oh, in yeah. 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 It was wild. I was really bummed when, because the first time I toured the property, they still had the swimming pool mm-hmm. in the in the basement. Or actually, it wasn't the basement. It was the, the ground floor level. So yeah. it was like you came right off of Michigan Avenue. You opened a door. And then there were like another set of doors. But then that was the swimming pool. It was like nuts. I And we were like, oh, this would be so cool to like keep this. And they're like, ah, oh, no, it's too much liability. It's, you know, it's. But, I just found an original yeah. photo of that. I got. Uh... Jim, my business partner, his mm-hmm. I think his grandpa or great grandpa or something was like president of the club at one oh, point. Wow. And uh, hmm. so for Christmas this year, I got him a 1965 yearbook from CAA that I found really? while thrifting. And it has like it's it's a lot of like members like wishing CAA like I think it was like a hundred years or something. But uh, they had like pictures of the original pool there, and I hadn't seen it's, it before. Yeah. It was really mm. beautiful. Was Jim's really grandpa cool. in there? I know. <laughs> I was really bummed. I was hoping that would have been the ultimate Christmas. He's like, hey. <laughs> yeah. So was Jim making this whole? It just thing looks out. like a black and white photo of Jim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so yeah. So you get Lost Lake going. You get Lost Lake going. All the I'm like, I'm like prepping. I'm like bartending, and then five months later, we open up. Wow. Uh, four concepts in the hotel. Yeah, so it's <laughs> so really like great basically. <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is awesome. It's so, like the equivalent of working a shift at the Whistler. <laughs> I was right back to where, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right back to square drive. So at <laughs> See CA, how that works? You've got, you got Cherry Circle Room where you do the yep. bar program. you yep. got Game Room, yep. same thing. Drawing Room. Yep. And then Milk, milk Room. room. Is, milk Room. Is actually, that like your main project there? It, or like They were all, they were all, um, you know, they were, I mean, I was over all of them and, and did all the beverage, but Milk Room was, was... Like your baby, I guess. Yeah, and it was actually... They knew that the space would be something, but I don't think that they knew when they were building it out and stuff. They didn't know really what it was going to be. I think originally it was going to be a service bar in mm-hmm. there, and so it was built out as a service bar, and 
you know, it has a great backstory of like prohibition and like this being this kind of like secret room and things. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's about the I, size of a coat check. It How many is, seats I are mean, there? it's eight seats. Or there's something eight like that? seats. Yeah. yeah. It's probably 250, 300 square feet total. And so I was like, I loved the office and I loved Billy Sunday. Those are my two, not two favorite bars, but Billy Sunday was definitely one of my favorite yeah. bars in the city. And I was like, we need to do a, a hybrid of what these two things do because the office didn't make cocktails with vintage spirits. They made like creative kind of culinary cocktails, but then it's like they had the rare spirits. Whereas Billy Sunday again had the rare spirits would make an occasional cocktail on the menu with it, but wouldn't do a whole program. I was like, let's do this program where it's like only vintage and like rare spirits. And so we, yeah, again, they, they trusted me and they're like, let's do it. And you know, yeah. Um, Sam's running it now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sam Perry. Yeah. So did you have a vintage spirit collection or how did you go about sourcing all that stuff? Yeah. I mean, Paul would just sneak into estate sales, <laughs> old people's homes. I, I mean, Actually, that's what you have to do. Yeah. It kind of is. Yeah. Storage um, wars. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it was funny because once Milk Room got a little press, we would get a lot of uh, inquiries oh. about like, hey, can you come out and check my... That's cool. You know, it was really great. It wasn't... It could have been creepy, but it wasn't creepy. Do you have? <laughs> Driving out to the suburbs and like, hey, come in my basement. I was like, yeah. uh... We got no, a lot of spirits you, down here. <laughs> Are you allowed to tell like, this is peripherally related, but like the Hirsch story? Oh. Uh, Oh, yeah. Are you, are you grave robbing some of these bottles? <laughs> no. There's no. more intri- I mean, there's yeah. some stories of acquiring certain things that are pretty wild. Um, yeah. But maybe it'll be for a future, yeah. future I did some, podcast. Yeah. That was pre, I mean, that was. Yeah, it was before I don't even know. Happened. I don't even know why. That was for Bob City stuff, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was doing a whiskey collection for. What's the rarest bottle you've acquired? Mm, probably the old Overholt that came. Um, they had different different vintages, but it was privately labeled, and it, they were private casks that were for the Mellon family, who owned the distillery, the Carnegie Mellon. So, like they, the Mellon family owned the distillery in Pennsylvania for a time, and they just had socked away a bunch of old bottles that had private labeled. So there wasn't tax strips or anything like that. It just said. Overholt, and then it would say like the year, and it was like 1906, 1907. Wow. It was like embossed glass, right? Yeah, yeah. And so um, they came up at auction at like um, in probably 2014 or so. Um, and I remember I was talking to Alex Bachman, and I was like, dude, we got to buy because they were selling them in cases only. So there were 12 bottles per case. And um, I was like, we gotta, we gotta jump on this. Let's, let's buy it, and then we'll split them. Or I'll take a couple, and you can take whatever. And we, it was like at Sotheby's or Christie's, or I think it was Christie's actually. And so we start, we set up an account and everything like that, and we start looking at the bids. And and Alex is like, no, these prices are way too high. No, no way. <laughs> and of course, they're now worth ten times what yeah. they were. So I mean, like again, a bottle like that was gonna be like maybe a thousand dollars a bottle back then and now they're going for like yeah like eight nine thousand dollars a bottle so yeah that's wild but it's a really cool yeah i mean it's it's pretty cool 
Was the was the Pritzker family involved at all on the concepts at CAA? I know no. they were very hands on in the hotel. I don't know about the con the yeah. I didn't see stuff. No, they they really. I mean, to my knowledge, they let us do our thing, cool. and really, they let um, especially Cherry Circle Room. A lot of that room was Robert McAdams and, and his staff. Yeah. Uh, of of building out all of that mill work and and things like that. That was one of the spaces that we could kind of gut and like I laid out all the underbar equipment, but the bar top and everything like that had to stay. Mm-hmm. But, um, wow. but yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful space. So pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so yeah, lost Lake gets <laughs> open. It, uh, yeah. does very well. <clears throat> uh, certainly, you know, up until the pandemic. Then yeah. Things shift around. Yeah. And then you move to New York. So I was, yeah. yeah so for the, the six months prior to the pandemic, I was, um, maybe it was a little bit more than six months, but I was traveling back and forth. So my partner, Chloe, um, works for Punch. Um, and so she's based in New York. And uh, we we started dating and she would come and stay a week in Chicago and I would come out there for a week. And and then, um, yeah, the pandemic happened and we actually we were on a stat, not Chloe and I, but um, the Lost Lake crew. We took everybody to Jamaica for um, a field trip. Yeah. So we go to visit all these distilleries. We were there for maybe like three, three days and the news starts happening about like not lockdowns or anything, but it's like, hey, there's this thing and so no like one knows anything. February 2020. This maybe. is late February. Yeah. yeah. Like and um, and while we were there, like some people got nervous and they're like, ah, I've got some commitments at home, so I'm just going to go home a little early. They were talking about like back then they weren't letting the cruise ships dock. Port, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so we came back. And maybe it was a few days after that where the lockdown was. And we were like, okay, we're boxing up uh, meal kits for our crew. And you can take all the bananas and yeah. <laughs> all this stuff. And and Chef Fred was like, um, and Danny, um, our two chefs, were like, had sauces made and, and things like that. And they were like, here, let's just. Everyone surviving on uh, yeah, banana dolphins. Yeah, totally. <laughs> they were getting those uh, those cloves like yeah, uh, stuck exactly. under in the cherries. Yeah. Mouth, yeah. <laughs> so um, so yeah. So uh, my business partners were like, um, I was like, I feel like I need to go to New York just for uh, a little bit, and that turned into a, a long time. They were like, I, they were very supportive. They were like, just go do your thing. We've got this here, and yeah. Wow. So that brings us to today, pretty much. Here we are. Yeah. So, uh, so you're in New York. What's next? What are you thinking? Um, I'm looking at spaces in in Manhattan. Um, yeah. For I wanna, like a shoe store. Or? For I'm gonna bring the Brannock device back. Um, <laughs> it's gonna be called Brannock. <laughs> Brannock's is a great name. With um, an X. <laughs> <laughs> everything's served in a shoe. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, yeah that's cool. I'm I'm starting to look at spaces. I it's been it's been nice. I mean like even when we were open at Lost Lake, I was you know helping out a little bit here and there with the the menus and and things like that and then the rum trainings. We did the the cool part was is that we launched and we finally launched our rum club like 6 years into opening. Um 
through the pandemic. And so we sold the rum um, samples that you would get and I would do all the tasting notes for it. And a couple of times we did some Zoom trainings and, and things like that. But yeah, I I mean, I've it's been nice to recharge as well. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, I mean, again, every every time that I start something, it's like, there's already there's always something else going on. So it's like mm-hmm. again, opening up Lost Lake, great. All enjoy concepts, that for yeah. yeah, enjoy that for five months, and then it's like okay, now you got this, and now you got Lonesome Rose, and then you got you know. So it's like, it was fun, but it was also exhausting, and it was a nice kind of way to like recharge. And I'm finally ready to kind of do it again. So do you work with Land and Sea at all anymore? No, okay. um, no. Because I know they've got a new Lonesome opening. Like a week yeah. or so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Andersonville. Yep. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, the thing is, yeah, halfway through this, I was like, <laughs> we could do like many episodes with Paul, but I was like, we got to cut it. I'm going to come back oh, yeah. the same as in town. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. We got to do a part two. Yeah. All right. Well, so unless there's anything else you want to cover that we haven't covered, we'll hit you with the gratuity round. Yeah, let's do it. All right. This episode is brought to you by Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, a tasty, versatile spirit. Created in Chicago in 2012, the product was born out of a need for a bespoke iteration of the Old Tom style, which is the slightly sweeter predecessor to London Dry. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin carries classic notes of orange peel, juniper, and coriander while balancing on a subtle floral edge thanks to the addition of osmanthus blossoms. Its elevated proof is suitable in cocktails or unadorned. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, complete your bar. Paul, what is your death row meal? <laughs> <Paul. laughs> I like Everyone always takes a sip before the gratuity round. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, death row meal would be, so I'm a big fan of brisket. So yes. I would, mm. it would be Franklin's barbecue sliced brisket. Mm. And then I also love fried chicken. <laughs> So it'd be the best fried chicken I've ever had was at Willie Mae's Scotch House in New Orleans. Yeah. So it'd be fried chicken. That's great. And, That's a good and one. And brisket. What's Paul your... also loves when people bring barbecue onto flights. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was funny. That's a wild I, move. It, especially when they're like ribs, <laughs> ribs from chili to go. Yeah. <laughs> you Paul's know? sitting next to this dude just crushing chili's ribs on it's a flight. It's crazy. <laughs> we went to Mexico with my mom uh, like a month ago, at the end of January. And um, my mom rolls up to the, with with a tuna salad, like oh. like spring greens with tuna salad on top. I'm like, you. Can, she's like, I'm just gonna eat it on the plane. I'm like, no, you're not. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Too aromatic for the plane. Yeah, Too I don't know. It's just really not a cool one. Uh, real quick, what's what are your what's your favorite brisket in Chicago? Ooh, ugh. that was a tough one because I really wanted to like. One. <laughs> no. I had one recently and I was really excited to go there. Uh-huh. And it might have been off time. It was like three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. So it was like a Not little as, dried yeah, out. Dry. Yeah. So I was bummed about that. Um, I. I All think, right, he's from Texas. Yeah, well, I am, also, yeah. But yeah. I mean, when smokes on, I will say smokes yeah. ribs. I, I like their ribs a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite <laughs> hidden gem restaurant? Um, I guess it could be here or New York. I was yeah. going to say, yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or Houston, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if anything in New York is really a hidden yeah. gem, but there's one mm-hmm. spot that I really like. Um, it's called Ursula's, and it's a burrito 
kind of spot, but they do. Is it in New York? Yeah, okay. it's in it's in Brooklyn. It's in okay. Crown Heights. Okay, um, and it is um, they do New Mexican hatch chilies mm. and hatch chili sauce, and so um, yeah, I really I don't know. I've been on a real big like uh, Tex Mex slash. Yeah. Um, Mexican food kick lately. Same, so yeah, for like the past 15 years. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, my whole life. Uh, cool. All right, uh, favorite fast food? Ooh. Um, I had my favorite fast food yesterday. You Culver's, did? I sure did. Culver's? Yeah. All right, yeah. <laughs> you just will not stop. I can't. I, it, it comes up in every episode. Yeah, because Tim brings it up. That's right. <laughs> organically. <laughs> completely organically. So speaking of Culver's. Because yeah, there's always a fast food question in the gratuity round. He's like, well, Culver's. I did. I had it yesterday. Shan got the fried chicken. I, I, didn't I taste respect it. Culver's for having such a diverse menu yeah it's a lot of stuff like there's a lot of different things going on there yeah i i definitely respect any restaurant that has mashed potatoes and gravy on as a side order Mm -hmm. so um but i would have to say my favorite fast food and it's it's nostalgic and delicious but also just terrible on your system is, uh, <laughs> Love is that. arby's arby's roast yeah. sandwich. Wow. the roast yeah. so just so there used to be a, a place in houston called roy rogers yeah and again i don't know who came first it was arby's or roy rogers but roy rogers had the big western cap uh for the sign hmm. and they did sliced these roast beef sandwiches wow and so i love it so like were they better than arby's I mean, they were to me back then, yeah. but I didn't really have a reference. But I always get the regular roast beef. You don't, you don't want to do the extra meat on it because it just kind of so throws high. off the, yeah, ratio. the ratio. Is perfect as it is. And yeah. then like two Arby's sauces. No horsey. Yeah. No horsey. Okay. Curly, I have done horsey in the fa- in the past. Yeah. Curly fries. Yeah, curly the seasoned fries. curlies are some They're of the really, best fries really you're yeah. gonna get. I agree. That is pretty delicious. You guys know where the name Arby's comes from, right? No, roast beef, Arby. roast beef, Arby. Oh, yeah. re- wow! Yeah. Wow! Yeah. Wow! This podcast is educational. <laughs> it sure is. When I was a that's kid, that's how we get the educational rating in the podcast store. Th- this will date me, but when I was a kid, <laughs> you they, told me that they had I the think. five for five ninety five. You could get five sandwiches for five ninety five. That seems My egregious. dad would stop there after tennis practice, and I'd take down five sandwiches. There's like an SNL wow. sketch about Arby's that recently came out. That's like, how are you offering all these things for so cheap? Like, what is the cost of the meat? Well, yeah, like they, what is but the they meat? go in yeah, exactly. It's very funny. <laughs> it's a liquid, right? It's a liquid know. that is then congealed and sliced. Well, don't I mean, don't it's, don't ruin it, it for everyone. It, you know? it, Hey, I'll still I think it. it comes out as liquid as well. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's From dust liquid. to dust. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Uh, Paul, what is the next cocktail trend? Ooh. Danny had a guess, but I want to hear your answer. Okay. Next cocktail trend. A guess as to what you'd say. Oh, well, oh now Paul's okay. gonna change it. You mean so? Are you, do you mean like concept wise or? Yeah, like like tiki was very. Big. Oh right. Like right, what's right. the next thing to pop off? Hmm. I think I think really elevated omakase experiences. Oh, that's cool. Like yeah. a dealer's choice situation. Yeah. Like. But using what? Oh. Uh, Rum? <laughs> no. How old is well, that? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, uh, was going to assume that you said something that, to do with, yeah, like bespoke vintage like, spirits, cocktails. Yeah. I, like well, one trend that I really am into right now is there's, um, I think, more distilleries and more companies are, um, the smaller ones, I will say, are more um, amenable to do 
custom stuff for you. So there's this really great like, plug away, but there's yeah. this really great distillery in um, in Long Island that's uh, called Matchbook, and they basically contract distill. Now they do their own stuff too, but they will make anything you want pretty much. Yeah, um, and they'll do that for restaurants and bars too. So that's they're cool. like, and it's like different labels and different. You can custom make anything yeah they're just they're about to come to chicago this week i think they launched yeah well they, this week is relative because this won't release on monday but, oh right right but yeah uh sometime around mid-march they're coming to the market they're they're fantastic people she's um uh, the the distiller is really super smart and uh yeah they're just really good company cool all right this might be a tough one but what's your favorite cocktail Maybe at the moment. The Riviera. The Riviera. <laughs> right, cool. Okay. Maybe. I mean, yeah. yeah. Follow-up questions, Danny? I mean, we could just put, give a shout-out to Toby or whoever. Toby. I think it's Toby's. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. and then we could put, we could do that as the as the cocktail so people know what the Riviera is. Okay. But I could. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean. Any, any kind of, I think any kind of daiquiri kind of variation or such. Yeah, I think it'd be fun to also put up a, like a throwback favorite cocktail mm. of paul's oh with the paul episode see i i'll i'll revisit some recipes and i'm like mm. <laughs> paul and i, I don't text, think that's, we'll, we'll I don't think that stands up. <laughs> yeah paul and i text that old drink recipe yeah i'm like that's a little suspect that build <laughs> all right what trivia category would you dominate uh, children's shoes <laughs> <laughs> I, well, what I a children's used to, foot I used does to be when able, you try to put it on the Brannock device. <laughs> I used to be able to size up people's feet and be able to tell within a half size. Oh, really? Yeah, but that's not really trivia, but uh, that's more of a ca- carnival Yeah, previous trick. administration. <laughs> Is that based? Yeah, but, yeah, right. oh, if you see it without a shoe on? Or? If I see it without a shoe on, yeah, I can be like, oh, that's a Wow, should we, should we test this? <laughs> yeah, I think you should. <laughs> yeah, Danny's got a usually feet. large should feet. Should I pop a shoe on? Oh, here? yeah. I think, I think that's, a, that's a 12. Yeah, Paul. okay. <laughs> Paul's that's insane. I don't think I could do that. That's wild. Oh yeah, that's twelve. <laughs> that's so weird. Was that you rating it out of one to ten? That, that was a one out of ten. Yeah, that was a twelve. That's oh, hilarious. Man. Wow. Um, I used to have a good memory for shoot. Like my friend Peter, actually growing up, was even better than I was. But he could, he could tell you like all the pairs of shoes that someone had. Like, he really? could point to a kid in our grade and be like, he has these pairs of shoes. No um, way. And it was, like, it was wild. I could be, like, I could do it a little bit, but he had, like, full memory That's of cool. what the shoes were. That's a gift. Wore. That is a gift. <laughs> it was yeah. wild. I was like, you're... Monitoring the closet. I would, I would be able to do... I, I used to be able to identify cars from the 1970s and maybe 80s, and I could... I could identify it for you. Me. Are a German car enthusiast? I am a German car enthusiast now. I am yes, but back in the day when I lived in the sticks and yeah, little huh. podunk. Let's just... add this question then. Yeah. What's, what's your dream vehicle? Oh, I that's... asked I asked Danny this, and, it, and I was like, it's when I realized Danny wasn't really into cars. I think he was, it was like, he's like, oh, I think I'd do like a Prius. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Wait a minute. That's not what I <laughs> it was something like that. No, I like, I oh, like this the guy mo- just... right now. I like the Mach E. The Ford. Oh electric, yes, that yes, Mach-E. yes, yes, yes. It's a one. kind of a Mustang. Yeah, Mach-E, it's, right. Yeah. yeah, it's like an SUV full electric. Yeah. Okay. I like that. My dream car would be. This is very nerdy, but it's called the BMW E9. Okay. Is it a full electric? No, no, no. It's it it's an actually e a nineteen. It looks like the two thousand two. Uh, right? a little it's a bit. Coupe, coupe version. It's that one right. That one right there. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's sick. For the listeners, me. he's pointing to a car. <laughs> yeah. It's a blue car. He's pointing it's at blue. a laptop. It has four wheels. It has... <laughs> See, this is the Danny's car knowledge right here. But it has... Um, it is, in fact, German. It's a two-door. And it, uh, but yeah, it's a, but it's similar a bigger grill. version. Yeah. 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 I like the car that, uh, Tim and his dad just did. Just finished oh. it. 1977 Ford Bronco. Oh, it's wow. Very cool. I no, mean, I, no I, mods, like straight off the factory line. It's it. all stock. My, and it's been a hellish project. My best friend growing up, his parents got the 1979 Ford Bronco that had the orange, the, the orange kind of stripes. It was mm-hmm. like orange and red and yellow had like decals on it like from the factory it was amazing even those broncos are crazy money now so it blows my mind yeah yeah all right uh to what do you attribute your success facial hair yes that's a big part of it it's like a samson situation yeah 90 percent of the power is derived from this facial hair i think um i think honestly it's like dumb luck and like timing like timing was just so important with everything that i've done like again like i don't think the whistler would have been as successful if it wasn't for the violet hour and like we came a year after the violet hour had opened so it's like you're you're not really the pioneer so much you're just like the yeah i think you're underselling your own like (laughs) skill hospitality i mean when you decided to like when you said you were like 33 and you're like all right now i'm gonna take this seriously i think that like having the determination to do that in the foresight yeah, I think the yeah. knowledge. Let's convince him. No, no, I don't. But the knowledge and the hospitality. You can be knowledgeable about it, but you might not have like the warmth that a Paul has, mm, or yeah. the, the genuine desire ability. to like make. I mean, I think the best representation or thing that at least I identify with the most, uh, if I could just compliment myself via Paul. Yes, guess, please. Um, no, it's just like when those drinks were stacking up at the Whistler. Let's say. And Paul was mentioning how he felt <laughs> each one, like he felt yeah. the urgency of those drinks as he actually cared about. He was sensitive to how much people were waiting for those drinks. Yeah, that's exactly how I was when I was bartending. It's right. like just being so aware and so sensitive to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people like don't have that inside of them they're like yeah they can wait like i'm gonna make the drink when i'm gonna make the drink and that's just like insane mentality i never understood that yeah we just don't have that and again i think because that's what's interesting and not to get too off topic but like um i think that's what's interesting about when i started bartending it i mean even for the first 15 years that i bartended it was never about the drink it was all about you having to be the like you having to be up on current events and being able to have conversations with people and being able to remember people's names and be able to remember people's drinks. And like back then you could smoke at bars too. So it's like you had to constantly like wipe out ashtrays and Mm. things like that. So it was like, you were always doing service. You were always giving service. You weren't just like posted up on the bar, like with your elbow on it, like talking to people. But yeah, so I came from the in from I came from the point of view of like, give great hospitality and oh yeah, by the way, give them a great drink too and, and care about it. Yeah. But also like you seem to be very present when you're doing it, just based on the stories you're telling from Vegas. Like you remembered like everything, how it would set up if there was someone playing the slots, like this is how you yeah. did it. This is how you printed their shit. This is how you made the vodka <laughs> long. This is how you, like all those things. Like, I don't know that I would have 
I mean, I don't know that I would remember all that stuff this many years deep, it's, but it seems like you were so present in yeah. those moments bartending that you fully like remember. All Not a multitasker. I'm into the one thing. I'm gonna lock in like a laser beam <laughs> on that one thing. Uh, Get that ten percent of the jackpot. <laughs> totally. yeah. I just heard a jackpot. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and then the last question: What is something that bars or restaurants do that might annoy you? Mm. Besides, I don't think they do that that this much anymore where they like have to describe what they do. Mm, you know, like yeah. when you go to a table and they're like, okay, this is an Argentinian steakhouse. And this is how we're gonna <laughs> yeah. do. Um, my biggest beef, and this just happened um, is dry the other brisket. night, is <laughs> dry brisket <laughs> and closing early. Closing early. When a yeah. bar or restaurant yeah, closes sucks. early, because Google doesn't tell you that. When you look it up, you're like, oh, they're open until 1030. And you get there and they're like, at, you get there at 10 and they're like, ah, we actually just closed the kitchen because yeah. we were slow or whatever. And it's like, ah, yeah, that's just, whack. That's yeah. my biggest complaint. That is a big one. It's also a guaranteed way to make that person never come back 100%. at that time ever again. It's the Cause anti- they're like, well, They could be closed again. I don't want to roll the dice. I'm not going to get all the way over there and then <laughs> discover sure. they're closed. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. It's a doozy. Well, this was a fun one, Paul. All Thanks right. so much for joining right. us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. And that concludes our conversation with Paul McGee. Thanks for listening. And remember to check us out on Instagram at JoinersPod for exclusive content. I'm talking about cocktails by Danny Shapiro, throwback photos of our guests on Thursdays, as well as video reels and clips from the show. And remember that this episode was produced by Matt Haddock and music by Captain Cuts. We'll see you next week.